Welcome back to part two of Infinite Justice, the Midnight Grappler Animals War on Terror. Last time we took it pretty easy, pretty light. You know, we did uh, Rich Johnston's Iron Muslim, and we we had some goofs, we had some gaffes, but uh, we figured we dive right into the serious stuff with this episode. Salt, what do you know about 9-11? Ah... Not enough and and too much. It's uh, it can be a, a rabbit hole of sorts, like uh, JFK, you know. Yeah, yeah. But we're not talking about the actual event itself. We're actually talking about what came after, because obviously the succeeding two to three years after nine eleven were just as tumultuous as the day of the event. Tensions were high. Emotions were high. Everyone wanted comfort everyone wanted reconciliation retribution and so given that the title of the event is infinite justice we figured why not talk about some things that came out in the interim between 9-11 and operation infinite justice today we're talking about 9-11 comics comics that have to do with the immediate aftermath of 9-11 and there were a lot of them quite a few of them uh not surprising given, you know, how New York City is an epicenter for the comics industry. But, uh, yeah, we've pared it down to four selections today, and we're going to go through each of them, give our thoughts on them, give our thoughts on the state of reacting to world events through comics. So, Salt, let's start with our first topic for the day. Cool. We've got a book from a writer an artist, a creator that older people in the audience will know, but if you're in high school right now or middle school right now and you're living in the U.S., there's a solid chance that you probably don't know this creator uh, because of book bands. We're talking about Art Spiegelman and his book, In the Shadows of No Towers. Yeah, Art's work had actually been read by a lot of my classmates, but I'm just a cultureless swine, so I had actually never read a Spiegelman book. This is my first time reading anything by really? Spiegelman. Yeah, yeah, this was great. I'd read Mouse in middle school and then again in high school for I think it was an English class. And mm-hmm. then I and then it was briefly covered when I did that graphic novel course in uh in university, but and if I can digress for just a second, what's up with Spiegelman's work being banned? So, with the culture wars that are currently going on in the U.S., uh, there has been a recent slew of book bannings across the nation. And, of course, of these many, many books that are being banned, Mouse is one of them. Uh, so there are, I think it was in Tennessee, where it had been banned from various school boards and again, with the state of culture war discourse, who knows how many other schools it will be banned from. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was banned from all schools in Florida by now. But yeah, Damn. Spiegelman, being a very politically minded 
creator has seen his fair share of uh, the American state not wanting to engage with his work. Yeah, and we see that come up with this book in the shadow of no towers. Spiegelman was looking around at different American publishers to get this this collection published, or what would become a collection. But uh, he could only get a, a German publisher, Die Zeit. Did I, I say that right? Die Zeit. Yeah, Die Zeit. Well, I so sure. I think it's Zeit because uh, I before E. I might anyway. have misspelled it, though. Hold on. Oh, well, wow. Yeah, I did misspell Readers, it. Readers, I am so sorry for my co-host's unprofessionalism here. This is uh, flubbed and all flubs. Um, yeah, Zeit. Um so yeah, this ran for two years. This was uh, largely Spiegelman recounting the 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 day of nine eleven as it was a highly traumatizing event, and you know, in in his own words, he's a, he works very slowly, so he was just doing a few minutes or a few hours of the day per page, you know, translating that that experience to the page, and it would take him several weeks or months just to make each one so this ran for two years and uh yeah it was in this this german publisher because the the deal was you can do whatever you want no editorial oversight spiegelman was really concerned that this would be heavily censored in the states and i think that fear was quite justified for him it's also interesting because it's much like mouse and that mouse was also uh serialized as a strip in i believe it was raw when that first published so to see this published but then under different circumstances it's it's like a weird mirror in some ways and again the mouse connections come up quite often yeah yeah there's a lot of references to it i think the formatting of this is really fascinating it's it's like a diary and a mixed media collage as much as it is comic strips yeah. It it really has to be seen to be understood because you're working in the audio format. We're we're mostly going to be summarizing the the text, but the 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 visuals here are work on so many levels. I think this is easily the best book we'll be covering today, which is why we're starting with it. Yeah, and if you want to read this, it's actually available on the Internet Archive. Uh, it was published or it was collected in 2004 by Viking Press, but uh, it seems to have gone out of print. So if you want to read it, uh, we'll link to the Internet Archive uh, page for you to read this because it's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful work. And, and you should read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, too, like it's um, it's it's like a cool time capsule of like what the liberal left response was there there's very little of that in comics it appears so it, i think it's really important in that respect mm -hmm. yeah uh, you want to get into the book itself yeah uh what an opening page let me say do we want to do this strip by strip or because the thing is the way he's formatted it is that you have multiple strips within the same page yeah well and sometimes they're kind of like interweaving with each yeah. other um yeah let's let's do it a little bit page by page to establish a vibe and then we can kind of go a little quicker once that's there um let, let let us talk about this opening page uh it's it's pretty crazy so in the the dead center we have a motif that will appear throughout this book and it's the 
burning skeleton of the tower. It's it's a, it's like a glowing grid. It's really psychedelic. Spiegelman recounts in the foreword how hard it was for him to draw that, how he, he spent months trying to translate that image seared into his mind to the paper. Um, and and there there it, it works on so many levels. Like the 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 heat, the this like grid like nature, like how the texture of it, it, it again, the translucency as well. Cause you yeah. can see a bit of the sky in the back. Yeah. And even though it's, it's a frozen image, it's, it's, it's fuzzy on purpose. Like it's conveying how much energy is radiating off of it. And, and that this is, it's, it's, it really conveys one of the central themes of this book, which is, how fast things can change and the impermanence of what is seemingly permanent. Mm -hmm. This tower is being vaporized and it's, it's giving off literal radiation. It's just fucking incredible. It, it rocks making this our central motif. Yeah. And then this, this, uh, this is captured within a circle on its opening page. And that in itself is juxtaposed over a newspaper from, 9/11/1901, um, and that's that's just an interesting uh, time capsule in itself. Was there anything on that page that jumped out at you, Lan? I mean, before that, I also want to mention that this tower motif shows up on every single page. This is an eight-page comic. Um, well, the main portion of it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, this tower motif shows up on every single page, so it really helps cement this idea that this is burned into his mind um yeah. for me on this first page it's that bottom mixed media sort of semi ad semi single page strip the waiting for that other shoe to drop the hold on let me zoom in here the new improved jihad brand footwear all man-made materials extra large sizes only available in finer shops near you um on this newspaper page to the uh i think the emma goldman conspiracy is really fascinating she's you know she's she's being accused of wanting to assassinate mckinley and i i think that's like an interesting uh it's it's really framing the left as uh the villains of history Mm. which comes up a little bit here too oh sorry i'm i'm talking about that newspaper page i, I just realized oh, you and i are talking okay. about different opening pages yeah this is the credits page yeah 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 okay okay but okay. anyways i i said everything i wanted to say there yes the now they're on the literal same page um my my favorite gag on this page is the the family at the top oh yeah we we see them nodding out in front of the tv and then it's the next day, and everyone is freaking out because 9-11 happens. And then the only change to their apartment is they suddenly have an American flag over their calendar, and uh, they're nodding off again. Yeah, this time with frazzled hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it works on levels, too, because now, like, time has been rendered meaningless. Right. I think the element of time and temporality, especially, you know, like, if you want to get Scott McCloud about it, but the... yeah. The form of all these pages is really boundary breaking. 
Yeah, like like you had said, these are collections of strips, but that boundary breaking is really important because they're they're all clashing with each other. This is not a smooth collection of strips like a a traditional strips collection. This is really chaotic. Yeah. Uh, anything on this page for you? Want to go to page two? Um, no. Let's move on to page two. Cool. Um, this one I I really like. Uh, Spiegelman falling asleep at his desk with his little comics and toys and uh, George Bush and the Al-Qaeda guy like looming over him. One thing I found really interesting about this page was the presence of the yellow kid on that table. Because later on in this book, you actually get uh, reprintings of very old comics. And one of the comics that do get reprinted is uh those old uh, yellow kid uh comics so to see sort of the influence that that plays in there you also got like a boy in what i believe to be striped pajamas y- yeah i think the other big thing here is just the self-image thing which uh comes up quite often with uh the mouse uh, if you've read Mouse, then you know that Spiegelman renders both himself, his father, and also fellow uh, Jewish characters in the book uh, as mice. And here you actually see him as a mice, not only in this panel, but also just throughout the book in multiple spots. And I found it interesting that when he does that, there is an element of connection to that previous work in Mouse. Mm-hmm. There's a few motifs on this page as well that come up throughout the rest of the book. Um, there's the the idea of sound versus sight. We see mm-hmm. that Spiegelman's experiencing the planes crashing as, as sound. He doesn't actually see the planes crash, but he hears it and he feels it. So his vibrations are reverberating. The other theme that comes up a lot is the challenge and panic that goes with picking up his daughter from school that day so we'll, we'll see that in the ensuing strips like all this chaos of trying to pick up his daughter from school and her school's proximity to the destruction site mm-hmm. my last note for this page is one of my favorite ideas on here is actually the text at the very bottom he says if not for all the tragedy and death i could think of the attack as some sort of radical architectural criticism Mwah. Chef's kiss. Yeah, Amazing. again, you're not going to get commentary like this out of any <laughs> other book at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one last thing I want to say, uh, and I guess this also goes, or this also coalesces throughout the book, is the, the differing art styles. Like, yeah. this is mixed media, but there is also, like, a very concerted effort on Spiegelman's part to, like, shift his own art style into either like a more flat art style or more uh, heavily inked art style to like differentiate between these different strips. Did you catch the albatross metaphor? Yeah, I, I liked it, but I wanted to hear your take on it because I think you understood it better than me. Yeah, so in this page we get the first strip, which is um, Spiegelman with an albatross, uh, an Uncle Sam hat wearing albatross, I should say. Uh, that he considers to be a weight upon his own mind when dealing with his own experiences with 9-11. But then you see the albatross come back up 
later on and it's in a different context so i find it interesting in the sense of uh the metaphor of the albatross around the neck the idea of the metaphor being that the albatross is a heavy burden that someone Mm. carries right something that is attributed to guilt and again here you can see that it's being used in conjunction with spiegelman's own guilt his own wrought feelings about uh, responding to 9-11 and then later on you see the albatross as something that's being forced into a position of like national pride but also this idea of recontextualizing something that you know is a sense of guilt or an element of guilt from the American populace into a symbol of, of freedom I think what I find really impressive about this visual is how much it looks like a a cartoon character like like a cartoon yeah. character that you would see as like a logo or a brand for something you would buy at a grocery store or a or a kids cartoon character and it really speaks to how the american cultural identity is so bound up with consumerism the fact that one of the the first things this bird says is everything's changed and and then it immediately is followed up with go out and shop i mean 9-11 and its aftermath is so surreal like it, it feels like i'm imagining this but george bush told people go out and buy a new tv go out and buy a new car we we don't want to let the terrorists win like yeah. the the you know a lot of these comics the ones we'll do later have this recurring theme of we need to stand tall we need to show them that we haven't been defeated and what that really meant was like you should go to Best Buy <laughs> it's 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 all here on the page it's great um one one more thing on this page I I am finally starting to process is. I think with the with the yellow kids, something that Spiegelman is playing with here is this idea of uh, racial stereotypes in comics. And, you know, I want to choose my words carefully here, but it is fascinating with the towers portrayed as these goofy little, I don't know what to call them, they're kids or they're clowns, but then they're being spanked by this caricature of a um, an Islamic terrorist. And, right. and I think it works beautifully. Like, I, it doesn't read as racist to me. I, I think it's very much Spiegelman making a commentary on on how the, the, the Arab culture will be misunderstood and, uh, and caricaturized by the media. And, and it, it's hard to really phrase that in a way that doesn't sound like I'm full of shit, but but I think there's something like that going on there, and I'd I'd love to hear your take on that. I mean, the the little kids with the the towers on their heads come up uh, fairly often uh, throughout this book. I think here it's less about I think it's less about the terrorist himself, but rather the idea of like what's happening around it, right? Yeah, because immediately after that you have the uh, the billboard with Arnold Schwarzenegger on it. Yeah. You know, I I think the idea of that terrorist only showing up in that one panel is supposed to be this idea that you'll focus on that very briefly before moving on to the next thing. Right. Uh, do you want to move on to the third the next thing collection? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this is 
chronicling how the we're continuing to chronicle the morning of 9-11 and you know in in real time this is about half a year later that's how long it's taken spiegelman to create all this he's he's recounting what it was like to pick up his daughter from school with his wife what the poor air quality was like and then uh, the fallout as it were of protesting the air quality he talks about making signs to to protest but like the other school parents didn't like his tone it's <laughs> really funny my favorite thing about this page is how these advertisements or signs overlap some of the other strips like it obscures mm -hmm. some panels from the other strips <laughs> and again it's the mixed media play but uh, it really works narratively too because like i said before you know like the the shifting focus you know like you want to read the story of what's happening with him trying to find his daughter nadia or even his dad and like what his dad was saying about auschwitz right but then in the midst of trying to read that you have these plastered on sort of breaking the pace first and foremost uh but also diverting your attention yeah that's really good and I didn't even notice this on my first read-through till I saw your note, but now we have this parallel of the, uh, the, the, the tower being vaporized and then the cigarette burning as well. Yeah. And I, I think that works really well with this theme of pollution and uh, intoxication we have on this page. Yeah, I, uh, the connections to Mouse, I think, are really, really strong here. Because, again, for people that only know Spiegelman through Mouse, or know of him because of Mouse, um, you know, like, this is not necessarily an aid, but I think it definitely helps create those links, you know, like, gets, it gets the neurons firing, is what I mean to say. Especially, I found it interesting in the comparison aspect, because, again, he's comparing the immediate aftermath to 9-11 to the Holocaust here, right? Or mm -hmm. not not necessarily equating them, but he is comparing similar experiences, which I, again, we're, we're going to see a lot of comparisons about the Holocaust or World War II or Nazis to this later on. And I think uh -huh. this is the most nuanced take that we're going to get. <laughs> Hard agree. <laughs> yeah, we're already halfway through here. Um so we're on our fourth page, and um, I'm going to actually turn it over to you. So the fourth page is where we actually get that albatross coming back up again. This time it's saying, uh, no, nah, i got to do the voice too. Oh, why do they hate us? Why? And it's getting its throat slit by Dick Cheney. It's awesome. That is, okay, so that is Dick Cheney. I, I... <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's well, and this is what's really key, is it's Dick Cheney in the front, and it's George Bush in the back. Oh, yeah, I see it. Again, the yeah. war profiteering aspect of it is something that you are not going to see in quite a lot of the... I mean, there. I think there's maybe one or two comics, or two, one or two pages that uh, I, I noted that do something similar. But again, this is... <laughs> when it comes to pointed commentary, I think this is the most that we're going to get. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, and he's really one of the few people who has much of substance to say on that. Right. Like, um, it's not a yeah. clean, it's not a clean commentary either. That's the other thing here is that, like, he's not trying to make any sweeping statements here. He is also using this to process his own thoughts right. on the matter. 
Well, and we'll see again, like he's, he's really conflicted and sometimes he'll, he'll go in what I personally see to be the right direction politically, but then he's kind of overwhelmed by doubt and will backpedal a little. And, you know, I, I find that to have a lot more integrity and intelligence and bravery than everyone else who is like, oh, right, let's get some. Yeah, we must stay strong. <laughs> right, like this this shit gets scary by the time we get to the DC and Marvel stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I think there is an interesting motif on this page of um, tourism. You know, people kind of gawking at the towers. And he he's really, the, the art is kind of uh, throwing back a little bit to old, uh, the, the art style of um, postcards, tourist postcards. Yeah, postcards. It's very painterly. Yeah, and so that that's working really well with this idea of like spectacle and consumerism coming up once again, and and you know also that we can process a trauma or process a memory, but then the the more we commodify it, it turns into something else. Right. Yeah. Um. Fifth page, The this is where we get more into political response and the beginning of the left versus right split. He, I do really appreciate Spiegelman's inner conflict on full display here. He's saying like, hey, we need a third party. The Republicans versus Democrats is just useless. Both parties are terrible in their own ways. And then the third party he proposes is the ostrich party. It's just a bunch of people shoving their heads in the ground with their asses <laughs> in the air. They look fucking stupid. And that is how every attempt at starting a third party goes in this country. Yeah, I, I really like the one who's got the uh, target painted on his ass. Yeah. Yeah, but there's two strips, two main strips here. One is the ostrich party strip. And then on the bottom, we have the return of the, oh, there we go. We have a name for them now, the Tower Twins. What are your thoughts on Uncle Screwloose? I love Uncle Screwloose. I, it's, I, I don't know exactly on what level Spiegelman is doing this, because there are multiple levels this could work on, but this is very much the United States absorbing uh, Nazi culture. And uh, it's sort of the dark underbelly of this jingoistic patriotism. That's that's my take because he's mm. he's got this like cartoonish Nazi accent, this Uncle right. Sam looking guy. What did, what did you get from it? I thought this was, I thought this was wild, honestly. Because <laughs> again, Screwloose has layers to him. You know, he is oh, the yeah. Uncle Sam character, but also in my eyes, he's also a play on. The yellow kid? Yeah. Uh, again, the way he's talking is very reminiscent of those old outquote um, comics in Hogan's Alley and and, uh, and whatnot. But again, it's sort of this twisting of this narrative, right? That Uncle Sam is here to save us. Uncle Sam is representative of, of this indomitable human spirit whereas here he is like a two-timing profiteer that lets the innocence in this case being the towers uh perish for his own uh gain i would go even further i mean we we see him actually immolating the towers and then we yeah. see him 
quite literally kicking the hornet's nest. Like, this is Spiegelman going all in on his self-professed conspiratorial tendencies. This is... we. The Uncle Screwloose is starting the war. He's he's taking great glee in making these hornets really pissed off. He is seeking out the fight. And then what does he do at the end? He's panicking. Ah, the hornets are coming back. And then he retreats within the safety of his own cabin while the the blowback, butt-a-bumpch, uh, and Sue's outside. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. One more note I have for this page on the, the note of conspiratorialism is um, he says, over half the country was already doubled over in pain after the coup d'etat in 2000. And I, I think that's really noteworthy because you know he doubts some of his own conspiratorial uh, thoughts along the way, but I just... I, I really, it, it's it's like an interesting time capsule because if you say Bush stole the election, it can sound kind of conspiratorial, but that was like pretty common knowledge back then. Like that was a really tame thing to say because it was so self-evidently true. Right. And so I think it's interesting. That's the one he doesn't backpedal on. It's just like, yeah, Bush stole the election. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, great page. One One of my favorites. Uh, on the next page, we have more. Uh, th- this is really going into the imagery of psychology. He's he, uh, Spiegelman is suffering a lot of visions, uh, and the the art works accordingly. This is terrifying shit he draws here, but the the main story is just this: uh, what appears to be a, a homeless woman who's shouting anti-Semitic slurs at him in Russian. Yeah, I really like how grody the arc is. You know, yeah. again, with the changing art styles, a lot of it remains to be relatively clean by Spiegelman's standards. But this, you really have these heavy, heavy inks, these really loose, loose lines. And again, with the rendering of this lady, uh, again, the, the, the beady little eyes, um, the frames acting as the uh the frames of her glasses acting as her eyes uh the pointed nose uh really just making her look demonic yeah and this is sort of the beginning of the the parallel conspiracy theories like people blaming jews for the towers falling Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, Yeah, that's a good page yeah, yeah it is uh, that the, the the collage in the center is so awful, and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're getting toward the end here. Um, we, I, I love so much about this page. This one's awesome. Did you catch the protester holding the Pox Americana sign? Yes. Incredible S- pun fantastic pun now did you catch the, in that uh, in that map did you catch the uh the nader percentage yes 2.7 2.7 uh um yeah this is where spiegelman is really starting to see this ideological split across the country you know the the red versus blue as he refers to it and he's 
calling the uh, the war the war to end all, the war to begin all wars. Mm. Yeah. Any thoughts from you? I mean, for me, it's a revisiting of some of his earlier thoughts. Um, I think it was from two pages ago, but the art here is what really 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 strikes me um especially in the that first row those really super solid colors in those last three panels going into a style that feels more evocative of like a newspaper strip like um this is embarrassing i can't come up with a news oh like a michael deatter uh newspaper political cartoon Hey, hey, we're, we're on Patreon. What were you going to say? No, that's what I was going to say. I was just struggling okay. to come up with... Uh, <laughs> I was struggling struggling to come up with examples because I'm not uh, up to date with my political cartoonists, unfortunately. Michael Deatter, yeah. uh, I believe, is a Canadian, so that's, <laughs> that's the closest reference point I've got. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, there's there's the newspaper political cartooning there, and then you have these... Again, the the coloring here is really, really cool because it's not just like red and blue. You have oranges in there mixed in with these really, really dark reds and these really, really vibrant reds and vibrant blues. And I wonder if part of that is him trying to say something about like how these these sides lose their edge in some ways, you know, like again washing out the colors i think that's absolutely it yeah and he's also talking about how like you can have a light blue region then that is also being juxtaposed against the colors of these uh terror warnings you know right. you have the orange alert the red alert and then, the red uh, <laughs> blue alert yeah yeah he dives under the the flag and it's got that ostrich motif again he says i should feel safe under here but i can't see a damn thing yeah yeah it's great it's great there's also um a recurring bit from the previous page where at the very end you have the mother and the child but then last time you had the child fall out of the bed but this time you have a panel that's completely upside down and uh let me flip my head to see if i can read what it says uh you disembedded again young man how now hush, now hush before, before mama, mama liberates, liberates you. you. I think that's my synesthesia power is being able to read that upside down. Yeah, usually I'd be pretty good at this, but I think something about the font is is really tripping yeah, me weird. up. Yeah, see, this is why the physical medium is always the best medium, folks. I can't turn around my 20-something inch monitor. <laughs> I do like, too, this idea of the charge being led by George Bush, and he's got the iconic capitalist pig waving a skull and crossbones flag behind him. Mm. Um, they've got literal demons in their uh, entourage, we see how the they're running up a hill. This is a, a battle that is stacked against them. And then eventually the, it goes too steep and the, the physics get a little funny and they completely fall down. Yeah. Um, so there, I love yeah, there's how a lot all of their dialogues also written upside down, like uh, backward march, redemption, preemption, charge. And then when yeah. they're falling, hallelujah, we're falling up. God bless America. <laughs> um, on the next page, 
um, we've got art getting lost in conspiracy theory. Yeah, this is pretty cool. How would you like this one? Uh, this was probably one of the denser pages of this comic for me. Uh, there's just a lot going on here. Yeah. I mean, we've we've got the... I, I think it's interesting how it continues the visual of the last page with the small figures continuing to fall at the mm. very top. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, so, so there's some continuity there. Um, I mean, this is that conflict I was talking about. Like... It is dense, but there's really one main idea I want to talk about here, which is he's he's looking up conspiracy stuff, and he says, like, hey, like I found evidence that the Pentagon was in on this in some way. But then he is watching the news late at night, and he's seeing these claims by Arabs that, hey, there were no Jews on the planes or in the towers. That proves the Jews have something to do with it. And then him seeing that ridiculousness makes him doubt his own beliefs. And he's going, oh, well, it's all just conspiracy. Everyone can have a conspiracy. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to judge him, but it's it's unfortunate. Because I think he is much closer to the truth when he's like, hey, on some level, this was engineered. I, again, I think it does speak to the, the slippery slope that comes with uh, conspiracies and also just uh, uh, to not mince word crackpot thinking. Well, yeah, it shows too. Like, if even if you're on the right track, whether you are or aren't, you can get totally lost in the sauce. Right. But yeah, um, yeah, it's good. Again, the the emulated art styles here is what I find really, really cool. Uh, you get a bit of Harryman in there. You get a bit of um, again, a little bit more of Outcoat in there. He's paying attention to these classics of American comics. And I mean like classic classics. We're talking like the, the first half of the 20th century. Right. And I wonder if that hits as hard nowadays. Cause I feel like this is appealing to a very specific contingent that would be more aware of like Hogan's alley or crazy cat, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, without that knowledge, some of these references kind of just go over your head. Right. Um, let's go to the next page. Um, there, there is a lot here, but the main thing that I like is w this really strange six-panel bit where it, it's it's called weapons of mass displacement, and this is where the war is is starting to like the war effort has really begun here, and he's he's recounting what that's like to see this shift, right? This shift, I think, is one of the most important parts of all the books we'll be talking about. It's the shift from grief of the day of 9-11 and, you know, how that impacted New York City in the ensuing weeks versus, and now we got to get revenge. And for chronological context, this strip is coming out midway through 2003. Yeah, so the, the war effort is a few months in now, and it, it, it's like... It, it did start a page or two before this, but this is where they really have to start cooking stuff up to justify everything. And this is where we see Spiegelman really swing more toward, I don't want to say conspiracy, but... Uh, I think it is also just a, a, a general sort of contempt for yeah, the Yeah, that's better. Right. Right. Um, so this, this six-panel story in the center is called Weapons of Mass Displacement, and... 
visually it's it's amazing we see him holding his cat he's he's lost his old cat he's grieving that and you know how time is changing everything but then the other thing that's going on is like all of these limbs and objects are like flipping around like suddenly his head switches with the lamp and then his hand will be on his neck and then he'll have his cat's head as his head and then his shoe will be on his head for the other shoe to drop and he's he's losing his mind seeing Bush and Cheney claiming that there's weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and he knows they're just going to profiteer off all of this and it's it's I think it's a incredible portrait of how madness inducing that all is there's the culminating panel of this is really really good because again there's multiple things going on like you said there is the switching limbs and heads and there's that but there's also the uh the commemorative photo of his previously dead cat uh zazu by the end of it zazu has left the frame and is left behind a steaming pile of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And so when he, as his mouse persona, fursona, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how how insensitive it would be to call his mouse thing a fursona, but uh, yeah, he's throwing the cat, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, sorry, that completely derailed my train of thought. It's good, it's good, and... This six-panel strip also is accompanied at the very end by, like, a faux ad for the Architects of Armageddon collector's card deck. Dude, I wish those were real. I would buy those. Those, it, those rock. It, You know what it reminded me of? Remember back in episode five, our uh, yes. Brought to Light episode with the, the Sienkiewicz cards? cards? Yeah, the Sienkiewicz cards. That's what this reminded me of. I love the uh, little note on the side, with apologies to Wally Wood and EC Comics. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, those are good. It's a good page. It's a good page. Yeah, Again, I, I like the pages are good. <laughs> George, George Bush is a radioactive slop alien. Mwah. It's great. Um, next page. You want to take this one? Yeah, this is our final page for the book. Uh, this time we have two sets of uh, interlinked panels, both made to look like the two towers. Uh, We have a three by five. We have a 15 panel grid on one side, and then we have a 10 panel grid, because math is very difficult for us on this podcast, on the right side. And there's two different stories being told here. Um, On the left side, you have Spiegelman bring up this character... (laughs) The Hapless Hooligan. And it's pretty much like a, a classic gag strip. Uh, again, you can read it yourself, so we're not going to summarize that. But then on the right side, you have a more serious take of Spiegelman sort of reminiscing um, or lamenting uh, the immediate aftermath of 9 11. He brings up a, a bomb. The bomb is of an eagle. or It's a commemorative statue, right? It's a commemorative statue that hides a bomb. The bomb blows up. And lo and behold, underneath the visage of Art Spiegelman is the hapless hooligan. And we get another panel where we have that motif from the first page. The, shoe, the other shoe dropping that comes and rears its head again. Uh, you What's have the a... other shoe? 
<laughs> They're all cowboy boots. Yeah. American great. brand. You got a uh, you got a dollar sign on one. You got an American eagle on the other. You got like flames on on one. The one thing I found super super uh, cool about the panel is that like you have these mouse characters uh, again rendered to look like they are from mouse, uh, but then one is wearing a white shirt that has comic art on it, and again it's that yellow kid callback. Uh, This time, he's got a character saying, the whole universe is completely insane. Yeah, I think he really sticks the landing here. I I couldn't quite figure out where he was going with waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then, what's the other shoe to drop? It is way more violence, but now it's displaced violence. It's not... The other shoe to drop is not another terrorist attack on American soil. It's... Everyone turning on each other through resentment and xenophobia. And then, of course, the criminal war on terror. Right. Uh, it's fucking awesome. I, I love this quote he's got here where he says, The unmentionable odor of death, which is a reference to his father's summary of Auschwitz. He goes, the unmentionable odor of death still offends as we commemorate two years of squandered chances to bring the community of nations together. In September 04, cowboy boots drop on ground zero as New York is transformed into a stage set for the Republican presidential convention, and tragedy is transformed into travesty. This this is the perfect segue to the books we'll be doing next, because... Spiegelman is so much more of a realist, and this is a completely different conclusion that everyone else will reach. Everyone else, or nearly everyone else in the next stories, will say, 9-11 was awful, but it brought us together, and we grew stronger. And Spiegelman's saying, we're so fucked in the head. We (laughs) cannot recover from this. We are so fucked beyond relief. Unity is not an option. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I, I like too that these, all these panels, you talked about these small panels are juxtaposed to look like the two towers themselves. And then there's a lot of good cameos from classic comic comics characters in the back. We have Orphan Annie, we have Charlie Brown. Uh, we have a bunch of guys, I don't know, because I'm not literate. Uh, there is one character that I do recognize, but I forget his name. He's a, uh... His whole thing is that he's <laughs> he punches people out for not being gentlemanly. Okay. Yeah, I think it's like something Mr. Tuft. Yeah. Edward Tuft, maybe? Hold on. Damn it. Okay. That's all good. I think, you know, what's fascinating is he, you know, Spiegelman is so obviously self-deprecating. And uh, I just want to dial it back for a second because he talks about... You know, while we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, many found comfort in poetry. Others searched for solace in old newspaper comics. And he's kind of goofing on himself there, saying, like, oh, these old comic book characters. Like, what are you, what am I doing? What's what's the point of this? And then you turn the page. The rest of the collection contains these old comic stories. Yeah. And while these are admittedly silly, I, I don't know if he's intentionally saying this, but you know, if you do read these old comics, you do 
gain some historical insight as to what the country was going through right. at the turn of the century in the early 1900s. And, you know, you, I think you're a lot more likely to understand what kind of mistakes this country is doomed to repeat if, if you do care to look into that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, anything else on this book? No. Uh, it's nice. We've welled on the peak of uh, the books that we're talking about, and I think it's only <laughs> this one deserved it. There, it's, there will be some shining beacons of hope later on, folks. Uh, some surprising but, ones, even. Yeah, some very surprising ones, even. <laughs> so let's just jump right into the next one, then. You've been listening to a preview of a Midnight Grappler Animals Patreon exclusive episode. For access to the full episode, our entire back catalog, as well as voting rights for future episode ideas, subscribe now to the show at patreon.com slash midnight grappler animals and keep on grappling.